0: Hebrews chapter 4 this morning, we're going to look at one verse. But before we do, I want to say happy Mother's Day to all of the moms in here. Um, It is a day that we set aside in our culture to recognize and realize, and I think it's fitting that we did our parent-child dedication this morning on Mother's Day. Um, It was 10 years ago on Mother's Day that we found out that we were going to be parents for the first time, um, which is uh, uh, an, an amazing gift from God for us. I want to say to moms, the, the reality of the legacy of faith that you leave with your children is very impactful. Um, Paul writes to Timothy in his letter to, in one of his letters to Timothy about the importance of the faith that his mom and grandmother passed along along to him. Being a mom is difficult. Uh, one reason why is because God's good design for motherhood is that from the moment that that baby comes out of the womb, um, that child is breaking away from you um, and is moving to a place of greater and greater independence. And, and that, that's a hard and even emotionally taxing thing for, for mothers. Um, when your children are young, that's an, that's an emotionally taxing thing. When they reach their teenage years, there is emotional taxation. But understand and know this morning that as moms, as those who have children and who are seeking to raise them up in the instruction of the Lord, uh, those those things that faithfulness to God um, cannot be measured. It can't be. It cannot. We can't put a price tag on it. God's faithfulness through you as mothers is. Is in, invaluable. Even in the moments that they're hard, strive to honor Jesus and live according to His word, not according to what the world or the culture tells you around you, but according to His His word. And we're going to talk about uh, His word this morning as we as we go to Hebrews chapter four. And I'm going to read one verse this morning, and I hope to encourage you. Um, and I'll set this up in a second. Let me just read this one verse. It's Hebrews chapter four, verse twelve. The author writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So, we've been exploring over the course of the last two two Sundays and now again this morning uh, the the implications of the resurrection for us the resurrection of jesus Christ. Um, what does it mean for us that Jesus is not dead, but is alive? What does it mean that Jesus, as those who are joined to Christ, as joined to Jesus by faith, we've been given the gift of eternal life. And so what does that look like for us to live uh, each and every day? The eternal life that we have in Jesus Christ, and this is what I, I want you to hear this. I've said this every week, and I want you to hear this very clearly this morning, because this is the thrust of all of these resurrection of Jesus conversations the eternal life that we have as those who are joined to Christ by faith the eternal life that we have it will go on for eternity and is not just a future promise it is a current reality as those who are joined to Christ by faith the eternal life we have is a current possession not just a future reality. And so the spiritual life you have, the new life that you have in Jesus Christ, uh, will go on for eternity. The mortal body that you have that's decaying and breaking down um, will go away and you your 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 new body upon your resurrection that's guaranteed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ will match will match the eternal life, the eternal soul that you have in jesus christ and so the last two weeks we pressed on an eternal matter the relationships and community that we have within the local church those relationships won't go anywhere when we die if you're thinking to yourself when i die i can be rid of these people and live forever that's not the way that this works god has set up his church so that we will worship him together for all of eternity. So the people that you see in this place who are in Christ will together with you be in eternity when the resurrection happens at the last day. These people, these relationships won't go away. And so the resurrection ensures it is a guarantee that this community of faith will go on forever. And that's good news. That's a that's a worth Rejoicing. So that, because when we as people invest in one another here in this place, that investment is, will never be lost. It's never meaningless. It's always, it always matters. If you spend time investing in the spiritual life of a brother or sister in Christ at Buffalo City Church, no matter how they respond to you, no matter how what they say in return to you, no matter how they look at you, no matter what they say about you in 15 years, that investment always will matter. That investment will always matter for all of eternity. Nothing can take it away. So now we've talked about uh, eternal life and the implications that that has on our biblical community, but now it's time to press another eternal matter, God's Word. Here's what I want to say to you this morning, and this is what I want you to walk away with this morning. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us full assurance of the eternal authority, clarity, necessity, and sufficiency of God's word. And we're going to talk about each of those words. If you're not sure what they mean, that's okay. We're going to get there. We're going to define those. That's one of our primary goals this morning. But here's what I want to say before we go there. We talk about the Bible a lot at Buffalo City Church. And even when we did this parent-child dedication a moment ago, we said the Bible is the primary rule for our lives. It's like ruler. I mean, like it's the standard for our living. It's the way in which, it's a place in which we go as people to understand ourselves. Who are we? Who did God create us to be? Who is God? Who is this God who created us? And then, what is required of us by this God? You can't know those things apart from your Bible. And so, this morning, like I said, we talk about our Bible a lot. On Sunday morning, we gather together and we open up the Bible together. We don't—I don't just open it up here and like spout out a bunch of words at you, and so that some like mystical, ethereal blessing will like come and rest upon you, so that you can. Um, some fairy dust can get you through the week. But what what I what I do here is open the word with you so that we together can go from this place understanding and knowing God, understanding and knowing who God made us to be, and understanding and knowing what that God requires requires of us. And so, but maybe you've thought to yourself, we talk about the Bible a lot, you're just like, so what? What's the big deal? We should consider, and so what we're going to do is we're going to consider the doctrine of Scripture together, because this is an eternal matter. So that when we talk about God's Word, the same ideas come to mind. The same ideas come to mind. That's important to be united together in our understanding of what the Bible is when we gather together and look at it closely like we're doing right now. So consider with me the, that there are things in this world that are that we feel, that we believe even in our the deepest places of our hearts to be untouchable. There are things in this world that we think and view as untouchable. Now, this is a bit of a sticky situation, but I think it's cause for rejoicing because a, a week earl, a leak earlier in the week, um, the Supreme Court uh, is thought to plan to, in June, overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, By doing so, states and not the federal government now would have the ability to make their own decisions about the legality of abortion. This is good news, um, but uh, we have to cautiously approach it because it's not official yet. But even just a few short years ago, um, this landmark case by the Supreme Court was thought to be untouchable. Even Christians, pro-life Christians, would say, say, like, we've got to move that direction, but right now it feels like a mountain that we cannot climb. But no matter what happens over the course of the next month, one thing that we've learned is that even a landmark Supreme Court case isn't untouchable in our country. But here's the thing. Even though there are things in our lives that feel like they are untouchable and that we can't get to uh, as people, there's only really one thing here that is. Um, and that thing that is untouchable and will never become irrelevant um, is God's word. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand Forever and the word in the, in the verse that we're considering this morning, verse twelve of Hebrews chapter four, the word of God is living and active. That means is it's never ineffective. It's always it always accomplishes its purposes. It will never become irrelevant. The word of God is always effective, and it will never become irrelevant. Words are the way in which God created the world. It's the way in which he brings something out of nothing. It's the way that he brings new life in us as those who are spiritually dead but now have been made alive. It's through words that these realities exist. Apart from the word of God, nothing that we see around us would exist or can exist. And the Bible is clear that Jesus Christ is the Word of God. In John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So if we look at the verse in Hebrews chapter 4, and we ask ourselves, Why? is the word of God, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the divisions of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's because Jesus Christ is the word of God. When the Bible speaks, it's God speaking. It's Jesus Christ speaking. Jesus Christ is not dead and disarmed. That's what the resur- the resurrection that we celebrated on Easter a few weeks ago That wasn't just a nice little celebration where we got to pop some Easter lilies up here and take a picture as a family. What we're saying is that Jesus Christ is not dead or disarmed. Death could not hold him, and therefore, he is living. He is alive, and he is active. He is risen indeed. that's That's what we celebrate every time we come together. Not just Easter Sunday. Every time that we come together, we are celebrating the reality that Jesus Christ defeated death. Now, Jesus is the Word of God, but here, I want to make a quick distinction for you. Your Bible isn't Jesus. Your your Bible isn't Jesus. I think sometimes Christians begin to even worship their Bibles. But but that's not what we should do. We, We should acknowledge openly a mysterious reality that the Bible is the Word of God and Jesus is the Word of God, but those two things are not identical. That may seem strange to our reasonable faculties, but the reality is these two things are not identical. We worship Jesus Christ and we gather here this morning to worship Jesus Christ as revealed in Scripture. We don't gather together here to worship Scripture. Can't make that mistake. So we're going to offer that as a moment of clarity. But a moment ago, okay, so what I said I want you to walk away with this morning is the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us full assurance of the eternal authority, clarity, necessity, and sufficiency of God's word. So four things in that sentence that we're going to flesh out that are important and integral to our understanding of what Scripture is, or we might say the doctrine of Scripture. Authority, clarity, necessity, and sufficiency. And each of these ideas relies on the reality that Jesus is not dead, but he's alive. None of, that, none of those things matter if Jesus is dead. None of those things matter if Jesus is dead. Without the resurrection, God's word, Jesus Christ, the Bible that sits in front of you this morning is a dead document. It's a dead document. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it is not a dead document. It's bearing witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ when it says the word of God is living and active. Because without the fact, if this is not, if Jesus is not alive, you should go. You should go. Like, you should leave this place now. Because it's stupidity for you to be here. It's, it's silliness for you to devote any more time to this document if it, if it's dead if it has no ability to pierce divisions of joint and marrow, if it has no abilities to discern the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, then we're all fools. (laughs) Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, We are a people most to be pitied. So what we can't do is come to the Bible and say, well, there's some nice moral sayings in here that might help me get what I want out of life. That's foolishness. The Bible is living and active. It hinges on the reality that Jesus Christ is alive because it can only be effective if he is alive. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a real historical event. Jesus walked out of the grave and spent 40 days on earth, appearing to over 500 people, and then ascended to the Father's right hand where he is right now. Jesus Christ, right now at the Father's right hand, breathing, functioning, his body is, he's right there right now. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand together. God's word is untouchably authoritative, clear, necessary, and sufficient. Nothing can threaten it. So, our time this morning, I want to look at the, our verse and consider the four ideas I just mentioned. So, let, let's start with those four things the authority of Scripture. When, when we think about the authority of Scripture, we see embedded within that word, the word author. That's the key. That's the key. When we talk about the authority of Scripture, we're talking about its author. We usually use the word author to describe someone who writes a book or an article um, or something. We say that God's word is authoritative. We mean that God's word, the Bible, is written by God himself. We mean that it is written by God himself. So when we say that God's word is authoritative, we're saying that the Bible has God as its author. Now, we're learning about who God is, and God is the ultimate authority. If there is nothing that exists in the world that outside of God speaking it into existence, then God is the ultimate authority. By his word, everything that came into existence exists. When he said, let there be light, there was light. When he spoke and created everything, and when Jesus stood at the tomb and called out Lazarus, he it was his word that was effective in bringing life back into Lazarus's dead body. Lazarus, come out! No, no one on earth. No, we're, we're pragmatists, and so we we like authority that we can see, that we can sense that we can touch, like authority that looks strong in his interface. face. But all of the authorities on earth have God as their authority. God is the ultimate authority. There is no other kind of authority like the authority of God. And God's word is authoritative because it's the way in which he chooses The way in which he chooses to bring everything into existence, to bring spiritual life to dead spiritual forms. Because God's word is authoritative, we believe that no outside source has bearing on it. Or did you hear that? No outside source has bearing on God's word. It's its own interpreter. God's word does not need to be proved to us by a History Channel special. It stands alone because it has God as its author. We don't need to check the facts. God has never lied. Every other written document on the face of the earth is subject to something else. The Bible is subject to nothing. For this reason, you can have you, you cannot have relationship with God and ignore his word. This is the design that God has set up. You can't have relationship with God and ignore his word. It would be like saying that you have a great relationship with your wife. And you say, but we haven't talked in a few weeks. What's the way to have a relationship with God? The answer is through Jesus Christ and his word. Hebrews one two, but the in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. God speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through Jesus Christ, which means that he speaks to us through the Bible. The authority of Scripture means that the Bible isn't people speaking for God; it's God speaking for Himself. So the first thing I want you to see is the authority of Scripture. God speaking for himself. The second thing is the clarity of scripture. We probably have all of this experience if you've read your Bible, you come to the Bible and you say, this is hard to understand. I'm not sure what's going on here. That's a pretty common experience. The only reason you haven't had that thought is because you haven't read it. The Bible has some confusing things in it, fully admitting it has some confusing things in it. But hard to understand doesn't mean impossible to understand. Hard to understand doesn't mean impossible to understand. The Bible is written to ordinary believers. It's not written to just pastors and academics and intellectuals. The Bible's written to you. God is disclosing who He is to you in the Bible. You don't need someone outside of you to tell you what the Bible is saying. God has given you. Every single believer, everyone who is in Christ here, God has given you everything that you need to read and understand what he's communicating in his word. Even though the Bible isn't written to ordinary people, the clarity of Scripture doesn't reveal itself to those who fail to read it or those who just who fail to consider it beyond just a quick glance. John just read from Proverbs 2 uh, this morning, Solomon teaching and instructing his son. Uh, and it tells us that we should go after wisdom in the Bible with lots of intent, lots of energy. If you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures. Hidden treasures are just that, hidden. they're hidden. <laughs> they're, they're hidden. You can't walk outside your front yard and expect to find like a treasure chest full of gold and great wealth. In stories, pirates are always looking for hidden treasure. But they have to go to great lengths. They're going to find a missing part of the map. they got to get a crew together to man their ship. they got to dig for weeks on deserted islands. Pirates who don't leave their house don't find hidden treasure. Earl Blackburn writes, God's truths are scattered throughout the sacred pages of Scripture and will not yield themselves to the slothful or lazy person who refuses to study. So, friends, we must. the clarity of Scripture means that the Bible is not impossible to understand for anyone who is in Christ, anyone who has the Holy Spirit, anyone who has a community of faith around them. The Bible is not impossible to study. We must urgently and diligently mine for diamonds in Scripture. One of the biggest reasons why we don't do this is because of our personal pride. Because we don't like to say, I don't know. I don't understand. What do I do? How do I proceed? Where do I look? We don't like to say those things. We don't like people to perceive us as those who don't know what's going on when we read something. We don't like to be corrected or to hear, well, that's not quite right. When our personal pride gets in the way, we find ourselves ignoring. We find ourselves not digging. We find ourselves not looking for the piece of map that we need to better understand. We find ourselves in a place where we will not yield, or where, where scripture will not yield up uh, these their truths to us. We must confess our sin. We must approach God in a spirit of repentance. And say, I don't know. God, show me. Use the means that you have given to me, the Holy Spirit, the church, so that I might understand and know you more. What we need to know is that even when we may struggle to understand Scripture, God has given us that flashlight. You look around and you say, I don't see anything here. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Don't rely on your intellect. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart even in your Bible reading. We need to know that it's the person of the Holy Spirit that shows us. When the light bulb goes on, it's him. It's not you. It's him. Everyone who is in Christ has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, no exceptions, and the Holy Spirit brings God's word to light for us. Here's the hard part. It's not always in our timing. (laughs) It's not always in our timing. Sometimes it requires many years of mining to find even one small diamond. But it'll change your life. The clarity of Scripture means that the Bible is written to all Christians and is understandable for all who seek and receive God's help to read it. The third thing here that I want you to see is the necessity of Scripture. Now, okay, Mother's Day, you're gonna maybe go out to lunch afterwards if you dare, um, and um, I, I'm, that's a that's a commentary on the difficulty of sometimes getting a seat at a restaurant on Mother's Day. Um, what what you what are you? Ha- and so maybe you're going home to make food because that's probably the easier option. And if you're gonna go home and you're gonna say, hey, I'm gonna make spaghetti because mom loves spaghetti. Um, w- you have to have a few things in hand before you can do that. If you want to go home and make spaghetti, there are a few necessities that you have to have. One, the right ingredients. You have to have spaghetti noodles. You need some like tomato-based sauce. Um, and a few other things. I don't know what they are, I'm sorry. Um, you, uh, you need to have some cooking utensils and wares. Uh, you need a source of heat so that you can boil the noodles. Things like that. If you go home, <laughs> if you go home and say, I want spaghetti, and then you go in the fridge and pull out a cold piece of chicken and eat a prune, you didn't have you didn't have spaghetti. The necessity of scripture means that the Bible is necessary for several things. Just like the right ingredients are necessary for spaghetti. Knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ, here are those things. The necessity of Scripture means that the Bible is necessary for knowing the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus died to save sinners. The Bible is necessary for this knowledge. Knowing what God's will is for us. Knowing what God's will is for you in any given circumstance. The Bible is necessary for this. The third thing, it's necessary for a growing and godly maturity and faith. You will not know the gospel of Jesus Christ outside of your Bible. You will not know what God's will is for you outside of your Bible. And you will not grow in godly maturity and faith without your Bible. And notice, though, a few things that I didn't, well, one thing in particular that I didn't say. Notice that you can't know that God exists without your Bible. You can, in fact, know that God exists without your Bible. The Bible is clear about this. Romans 1.20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. But just knowing that God exists won't save you. That's not the good news. In fact, that's that's terrible news. Because when you understand that God exists, you understand that you need to have a relationship with him, and you have to ask the question, how? How do I have, and creation doesn't tell you that. You can't get a tree or a rock or a bird or a garter snake to tell you how to have a relationship with God. But the Bible discloses it clearly through Jesus Christ and his perfect sacrifice on our behalf. Lots of people believe that God exists. Um, Even in our society that's more atheistic than ever, lots of people believe that God exists. They just say, like, God exists, or something like, I'm spiritual but not religious, something like that. And like, well, I think Jesus is one way, but not the only way. But people, in order to be saved, must confess that Jesus is Lord and trust him for the forgiveness of sins to be saved. And outside of the truth about Jesus Christ contained within Scripture, both who he is and what he's done for you, you cannot be saved. Now what I don't mean is that you have to sit down and read your Bible exclusively to be saved. There are faithful men and women who are under who understand and know the truth of the gospel as communicated in scripture who then relay it to other people and the Holy Spirit uses that. But the information finds its source in scripture. You must hear and respond to the gospel as it is presented in scripture. No other gospel will do. No other gospel will do except the one that's presented in the Bible. The necessity of Scripture means that without the Bible, we cannot hear the details of and respond to the true gospel. We cannot grow in godly maturity, and we cannot know God's will for our lives. Without the Bible, we can't hear the details and respond to the truth of the gospel. We cannot grow in godly maturity and faith. And we cannot know God's will for our lives. Fourth thing, the sufficiency of Scripture. This is the last one. The f- sufficiency of Scripture sort of goes along with the necessity of Scripture. It kind of comes from that other, the other angle. Scripture is sufficient in the sense that we don't need more than what's contained within it. Scripture is sufficient in the way that we don't need more. We don't need less, that's the necessity. We don't need more, that's the sufficiency. Scripture is sufficient in the sense that we don't need more than what's contained in it. It needs nothing external, we said this earlier, to fulfill God's purposes. It is wholly sufficient. So for our understanding of the gospel, for our growth in faith and maturity, and for our knowledge of God's will, Scripture is sufficient. This idea is, has been especially important throughout the history of the church because of one clear heresy that's made its way. You know I like to talk about heresy. Um, There's one clear heresy that's made its way and really throughout all of church history. Gnosticism is this heresy that threatened the early church. And part of what Gnosticism taught was that they had access, if you were a Gnostic, they had access to some special knowledge. The word Gnostic is derived from the Greek word for knowledge. That they had some special knowledge uh, that didn't come through the Bible, but that came through some mystical experience that they had. Gnosticism hasn't gone away, but it's taken new shapes in our modern day, and we need to be aware of it. Anything that claims to have additional information on how you can be saved than, uh, other than what's contained within Scripture, is Gnosticism. Lots of books exist. Just do a quick Amazon search. Or don't. That—that's Maybe you don't want to. And that's probably good. Lots of books exist on Amazon to, uh, and claim to offer you some way to unlock some spiritual knowledge um, and some spiritual in, internal truth. But even more commonly and even more veiled, and one that slips its way into the church a lot more frequently, is the secret knowledge of self. The secret knowledge of self. This says, and this is a form of Gnosticism, it says in order to really be saved, I need to get in touch with who I truly am. I need to get in touch with my authentic self. This is a secret knowledge that only I can know, and therefore you have no ability or nothing, including God's word, has the ability to speak into it. This is highly dangerous and highly isolating. One of the most overt examples in our culture is people choosing their gender. That decision is made when they seek out their authentic self and find somehow inside, even though they are created by God as a man, they're actually a woman or vice versa. This is Gnosticism because it says you can't tell me what I am. I could be saved then by searching out some internal truth that only I can know and then live it out. But it is far more important what God says about us as people. It is far more important than what God says about us as people, than what we search out and find internally. Let me say this. The most important thing about us is not what we find on the outside, but what God says about us in his word. We do not need to dive into some self-discovery search to know what we need to know to be saved and to know our creator and to understand his will. Instead, we need his word. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So this is the challenge that comes to us through the sufficiency of scripture. What has God said about me? What has God said about who I am in his word? Not what I perceive God has said to me uh, through some experience that I've had, but what has God directly said to me, directly said in his word about who I am. The sufficiency of scripture means that we need nothing to be added to the Bible, to know the details, and respond to the truth of the gospel, to grow in godly maturity and faith, and to know God's will for our lives. I want you to see this too. This is the ultimate standard. This is the ultimate standard. When we start having conversations about things like, uh, like, like gender, we start having conversations about the way in which we, as people, were created. This is this is a rule that applies to every single one of us. We as a church don't pick and choose what we want to highlight. We go to all of God's word and look at every single thing that God has said to us about who we are and say that is far far more important than anything that our culture has said about us. So in conclusion this morning, just very briefly, the word of God is living and active. That is only possible, friends, that is only possible if Jesus is raised from the dead. It is only possible if Jesus is raised the dead and is alive forevermore, like he says in the book of Revelation, ruling at the Father's right hand. If Jesus is not alive, this is a dead document, and it deserves no more of your attention. You should just go read Tom Sawyer and, and like the latest New York Times best-selling novel. They're all on the same plane. But Jesus is alive. And so this document is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the divisions of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and tensions of the heart. The reality is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us full assurance of the eternal authority, clarity, necessity, and sufficiency of God's word. Death cannot stop God's word from accomplishing what it sets out to accomplish. Nothing can stop God's word from accomplishing what it sets out to accomplish. Isaiah fifty-five ten and 11 says this. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. In the last couple of weeks, talking about biblical community, I mentioned this at the beginning, but I said that an investment in another person who is in Christ is, is never a waste. It is an eternal investment. The same goes for God's Word. The same goes for God's Word. As Christians, giving time to reading and studying God's Word is never wasted. This week, if you have the opportunity to if you're in a place where you're thinking to yourself, I could sit down and read the Bible or I could go do X. I've really got to get this done. It's really pressing me. One option is clear. It's never wasted to spend time reading and studying God's word. The, because, because unlike any other task that you might dedicate yourself to this week, God's word has the ability to produce something in you and produce in you everything that you need. Results that will never, never go away. They're not just for this life. Many things that we devote ourselves to are going to go away in the next week or two or five or ten years, well before we're dead. The results that are produced by God's word in us, both as individuals and as a church, will literally never go away. Never, ever, there's nothing in all of creation that you can invest in that would yield results like time and energy poured into God's people and into God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for the truth of your word. God, we thank you that it is clear. God, we thank you that it is necessary and that it's sufficient. God, we thank you that it is authoritative, that it has you as his author, and then because you have told us that it is, it is your word that you've breathed out to us. God, we we praise you that you have never lied to us, that not once have you ever bent the truth because you are the source of truth. God, would we believe more deeply? God, would we trust you more deeply? And when there are piles of tasks that lay before us that seem threatening to us as people, would we trust more to slow down, to go into your word, to trust you to understand that we should not in those moments lean on our own understanding because we are fickle, frail, finite creatures. God, you are infinite, eternal God, wisdom within you. God, you are our creator. And may we know you more through your word this week. God, may we know ourselves more through your word, not through journeys of self-discovery or understanding what's truly on the inside of us. God, but what you have said to us about who we are God, would that be the most important thing to us this week? God, when we look to Jesus Christ, God, would we obey all that he has commanded to us? God, would we teach others, even as he gave it to us in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, teach others to obey all that he has commanded us as well. God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.